Welcome to season two of Overcoming Working Mum Burnout. I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline Kerr, mum, burnout survivor, behavior change scientist, and TEDx speaker. Please take a moment to watch my TEDx talk. The YouTube link is in the show description, and my talk is called How to Stop Burnout Before It Starts. On this podcast, I interview international burnout experts, HR and DEI leaders, and lifestyle coaches to find out how we can create individual, organizational, and cultural change to prevent burnout. When mums thrive, the world benefits. Last week, Alison Sao and I spoke about leading with more humanity in the workplace. And a large part of that leadership is being a role model. Often we think about role models as aspirational, larger-than-life characters. Oprah Winfrey, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Michelle Obama, Hillary Clinton. But everyday role models, people like you, are an essential part of individual behavior change and cultural change. So cultural change comes from social norms, which are created when a certain number of people are acting in a certain way. So the more women leaders we have who are focused on leading with humanity and demonstrate how to do that, the more social norms will change. For women leaders, the sheer numbers might be particularly important because we don't necessarily lead with noise. For example, Angela Merkel and Jacinta Hearn are leading quietly. This was pointed out in a hilarious TEDx talk by Thomas Chamaro Premudzik, probably butchered the name there. At the TEDx University of Nevada, his talk was entitled, Why Do So Many Incompetent Men Become Leaders? And he explained that the noise men made about their leadership inherently made them poorer leaders. But as well as the influence of role models on culture and social norms, role models play a vital role in behavior change. In science speak, two important mediators of behavior change are self-efficacy and mastery. This means before you can develop a new habit successfully, you need to have the skills and confidence to do it. The way you develop the skills is often by role-playing, practice, trial and error. And the way you develop the confidence to try these new skills is to see others like you mostly succeeding at doing these skills. There is not a perfect role model. So let's let go of that expectation for yourself as a role model and in the role models you seek. The old adage, see one, do one, teach one, makes sense. First, you need to see someone else doing the thing before you want to try it yourself. There are so many ways that we can be positive and negative role models as a leader, wife, and mother. And we need to see good examples of healthy leadership, healthy relationships, and healthy motherhood to be able to see the change we want. We need to see it, be it, and show it to others. So I think first accepting as a burned out working mom who is overgiving, overthinking, overworking, overachieving, overwhelmed, and in overdrive, that we may not be setting the example we want to, to our colleagues or children or to other mothers. And yes, this might feel like piling guilt upon your already overladen plate, but guilt is sometimes the prompt we need that the behavior we are doing could be different. I was just working as hard as I could to be the best mom, wife, and boss I could be, but I didn't realize that role modeling endless hard work with no limits and no expression or recognition of my needs was not helpful. 
especially to my daughter. When Glennon Doyle asked, is this the life you want for your daughter, this martyr to motherhood? My response was absolutely not. I did not wish my life on her. It was a wake-up call for me. And as my parenting coach sometimes had to remind me, if you can't do it for yourself, at least do it to set a better example for your kids. And as we start to realize the different behaviors we can adopt to help reduce our burnout, we can also value how adopting those behaviors will help others too, just by us doing them a two for one. So let's start with what Alison shared in last week's episode about role models and leading with humanity. And apologies for any annoying ticks in the audio today. Yesterday, I was clever and I wanted to change the world. And today I am wise, so I'm changing myself. And so a lot of my own personal transformation journey, as well as the journey I've seen organizations through, all requires the bravery to confront that if you really want to change the system, you must start with changing yourself. Yeah, changing your mindset, the way you view the world, the way you think about things, perhaps some of your biases and or blind spots. And once you start to do the work on yourself, the system will start to change as a result. And so when we talk about systems change, a lot of times leaders can be tempted to say, okay, but everyone else needs to change or we need to change processes and policies. And so that's essentially the the crux of my transformational um, process is really human-centric, helping people to engage more individually first with the change that they desire on behalf of the system and using themselves as an instrument to change, self as instrument to change, we like to call it in OD, in order to impact that system. Do you as a leader firstly believe that in order for the system to change, that you yourself play a role in that? That's probably the biggest question I ask leaders early on is if that leader continues to believe that change must happen outside of them, that's where we start to get incongruences because when that leader will start to lead that change, their people will start to ask for role modeling. We hear a lot of people say, I need my leader to role model and walk the talk of change. And that typically tends to be the disconnect and where change programs start to fall down is when me as an employee in the organization looking around at my leaders and saying, wait, you expect all of this of me, but I don't see you doing any of this. So why should I try so hard? And to be honest, some people don't even know what the change looks like that you're asking for. So above and beyond that, they can also see, oh, that's what you mean by shared leadership or innovation or more trust or inclusion when they see you actually demonstrating it. The only thing that I can do is be the change I want to see. And I talk to a lot of my clients about this in my coaching is that if you stop focusing on how you want to change the other person and you focus on how you want to change yourself, by sheer magic, your interaction with that person will change because you have changed the pattern. You have disrupted the pattern of how you engage, as an example. If you can change the way you interact, that's an invitation to somebody else for them to change the way they've interacted with you in the past as well. And that's how change happens. And that is such a real and lived experience of so many people that I coach is that when they've decided to act or behave differently than they normally would, 
the entire interaction will change. You imagine if you started to do that then with groups of people, so that would look like team coaching as an example, that's when you start to get systemic change. You imagine if you start to do that with, for example, if I'm thinking of inclusion for groups of white men, you imagine you have that conversation with groups of white men who typically sit in positions of power and authority in our organizations and our systems. You could imagine how much systemic change could happen if those insights were gleaned with those groups of people. And so you start to see then how individual work can start to translate into systemic work and why it almost needs to happen at the individual. It needs to start at the individual level for us to significantly change systems. Once individuals can start to see the system and start to see the role that they play in the system, then they can make more self-aware choices on how to influence or disrupt the system. Because many of us think that we are just going along for the ride or don't have a lot of influence in the systems we live in. But that kind of herd thinking then leads to no change. And so we need enough people to say, actually, as an individual, as a part of a system, I can affect change if I'm brave enough and self-aware enough to disrupt it. I think one of the points Alison made that really resonated with me was how do you role model the behaviors you want to see when how you operationalize those behaviors is often missing? I have ranted about this before. On the Tilted podcast, an expert in management said, we just need more compassionate managers. Just is a trigger word for me. Just do it, Nike says. And guess what? Less than 10% of the country are meeting physical activity guidelines. So, you know, just do it doesn't work. I remember screaming into the void. What does that even mean? Compassionate managers. What the hell does that really look like? Compassion is one example. Anti-racism is another example where people struggle to know and recognize the specific behaviors, especially if they are don't behaviors. Don't touch a black woman's hair. The absence of a behavior can be challenging to notice. Trust. How is that operationalized? Active listening, unless you're looking for the specific behaviors, like reflecting back and knowing that's what you're looking to see examples of, can be hard to recognize in the normal flow of a conversation. So I think if you're struggling to role model these behaviors or struggling to find role models, that totally makes sense to me. That's why really breaking down what you want to do into specific behaviors is key. So the STAR program out of Harvard, Support, Transform, Achieve Results, STAR, is an example of a behavior-based supervisor program to reduce work-life conflict. This program recognizes for a manager to be effective, they need to role model, bringing your whole self to work, and role model leaving work behind when you leave work. You first start with assessing the behaviors you think will demonstrate bringing your whole self to work. Pictures of the kids, including school pickup in your schedule, leaving for a play performance or doctor appointment early. Then you also role model setting limits on work, not sending emails after hours, not working late or weekends. And then in particular, STAR gives the same autonomy to employees to set their own schedule. And managers checked in with employees about their work-life situation. 
by the managers role modeling this, employees saw that the behavior was accepted and normal. And also this created the psychological safety for employees to share their own situation and receive more compassion and understanding for their needs. Well, I used to role model bringing my whole self to work. And in a 360 degree evaluation, many female employees appreciated this. I did not model the limits on my time, although I did remind others to set limits on theirs. If you listen to Professor Kate Murray's episode, she pointed out the hypocrisy of this to me. So keeping yourself accountable to the limits you want others to demonstrate is really important. And you can demonstrate boundaries in so many ways. I thought Dr. Hannah Badland in her episode did a great job of telling people, I leave at this time, so put my topic on the agenda before I leave. And she said, if they don't value my time and my input, that's their loss. But you could also convey this as an out of office reply. I only check my emails Tuesdays and Thursdays. Please be patient. I know this example might seem crazy, but for a mompreneur who controls her schedule, what an amazing example to set. I really appreciated this example from Dr. Amber Thornton in her episode, The Power of No, on the podcast, Work Like a Mother. So that's role modeling specific skills and specific limits or boundaries. And sometimes with your kids, you actually have to visually draw those boundaries around your space to show kids what you mean. And then your kids can take the same tool to school and draw a boundary around their personal space, for example. Role modeling saying no is also important. I had a colleague who declared to me she had done a year of no's. How I wish I'd known that earlier. Again, some of these behaviors we are doing, but not publicizing it in case we feel we will be penalized. But sharing those tips with trusted colleagues provides a fantastic role model for others. I recently did an episode on saying no to unpaid work, and it takes time to develop the language you're comfortable with. But every time you role model saying, I don't accept unpaid work as it undervalues my service and takes energy away from my ability to do my paid job well, especially when this is then well received, others can see that and it gives them permission and confidence to try. That's definitely a point to note. Often women do not stand up for what they need as they have seen their role models being penalized for doing so. While painful, it could indicate that you need to take a different approach or that more people need to do it until a tipping point is reached. Hence the importance of role modeling to create contagion. You can also role model to give permission to others. For example, role modeling taking a break from your kids for a week. I try to talk about this one a lot whenever I get a break because it gives permission for others to do the same thing, especially if they can look at you and say, she's not a bad mom and she puts her needs first. Role modeling, asking for help is another important one for burnout. Asking for help can be hard, but when you ask a friend for help, you're actually role modeling to her that it's okay to ask for help. Role modeling helping others may be easier than asking for help for your own needs. This can be particularly important when you role model interrupting bias. It may be easier to point out when someone else is the victim than when you are. Likewise, you might feel more comfortable 
promoting someone else's achievements rather than your own. But role modeling, looking out for each other, can result in someone else looking out for you. Remember, you do have to do it a little loudly for it to be noticed. Role modeling to be a representative of a group is also important. You may not have to do a specific behavior once you're in that position, but simply being present in a certain space at a leadership table, for example, shows others. They know they can be it because they see it. Now, this can put pressure on many minority representatives to stay in positions that are not healthy because they want to be a role model for others to succeed. And they can be expected to be a representative of a single group that has many characteristics. But if you can ask, would I want someone else to be in this role, given how I am feeling? That might help give you permission to step down if needed. It's also so important not to be the only one. As one female leader declared, she would no longer take on positions if there was not at least one other woman present. There's a role model for change. I thought these recommendations for role models for STEM careers were important. So these come from a scientific publication. So one was portray role models as competent and successful. However, portraying extreme levels of role model competence or success can backfire, demotivating students. Although it may be tempting to make the role model seem like a superwoman in terms of what they have achieved, more is not always better in this respect because students may conclude, I could never do that and look elsewhere for a career. Number two, portray role models as meaningfully similar to the students. Although the fact that the role model belongs to the same social group as they do may in itself be motivating to some students, a role model's motivational effects can be broadened by highlighting other ways in which the model is similar to students, e.g. the model worked hard for their success rather than being effortlessly brilliant. The model likes to do regular person things in their spare time. Asking students to reflect on similarities to the role model might help as well. Number three, Prioritize exposing students to role models from groups that are traditionally underrepresented in STEM. Doing so is important, especially in cases where only a small number of role models can be presented. Models from underrepresented groups are likely to have the broadest positive effect on students, regardless of students' own social identities. To avoid imposing additional burden on scientists from underrepresented groups, they could be introduced to students via videos or printed materials rather than live, because these materials can be presented to large numbers of students without any additional effort on the role model's part and are at least as effective as live interactions. Number four, portray role models' success as attainable. To the fullest extent possible, information should accompany the exposure to the role model that makes it clear how the students could also achieve what the role model has achieved. Perhaps the greatest risk of demotivating students arises when a role model's career success seems unattainable to students. So some good points there. Even if you're not the representative of the group, like Professor Kate Murray did with her curriculum, she included representatives in her materials. 
I also thought a recent article by Wendy Robertson featured in the Culture Study newsletter by Anne Helen Peterson was insightful. An overweight Peloton user appreciated that she could feel safe attending classes because other overweight cyclists were in class. They were enough role models that she felt a sense of belonging. And even though instructors were careful about their weight-related language, there were no overweight instructors who could demonstrate how to set up the bike for her size and shape. Having instructors who look like you is vital. This is why in my research on physical activity, we employed older adults to lead the groups. And we did the group context. People inspire each other. In one case, a very elderly lady was still walking despite her extreme skeletal challenges, inspiring a younger older lady that she could also do it, given her better health. If she can do it, I can do it. Role models across the generations are helpful. I found speaking with older women helpful because they role modeled seeing the big picture when you look back in time. But many women have commented on how they admire younger women for their ability to set boundaries and ask for what they want. And they gain inspiration to try the same. If they can do it with less skills and years of experience, why can't I? An important part of burnout recovery is finding your tribe. Group coaching can be particularly beneficial if you find other mums like you. They role model the mess and success and provide examples of behaviors you can try and normalize the barriers you're facing. In my podcasting group, I also appreciate the role models who are further along than me. They show me that if I follow the same path, I can have the same success. But be careful of competitive comparisons that make you feel inadequate because you have not yet achieved their success. Successful people can make you feel inspired or inadequate. That is why it's so important to show you're human and share your missteps. I've particularly appreciated when experts role model making mistakes and growing. For example, Janice Gassamasari in her book, The Pink Elephant on Anti-Racism, created a postscript that said, after writing this book, I discovered some of my language was inappropriate for some groups. Orientals, Aboriginals were some examples she gave. And she said, I've updated my understanding to say First Nations people, etc." She could have taken out the wrong wording of her book, but instead she wrote the postscript to demonstrate that we all make mistakes and that our learning is ongoing. Such an important point to role model in her sphere of work. Now, role modeling won't always result in change. It could simply be planting seeds for the future change or won't result in someone recognizing the role you played. It may be a silent ripple, but it is having an impact and sharing what you do to have a more balanced life is so important instead of sharing how busy you are. Ask other mums, how do they make it work? Instead of assuming they have it all together, give them the chance to share that they don't volunteer at school, that they aren't the one making dinner. We don't have enough role models for bringing your whole self to work or for servant leadership because these values are not rewarded and can even be penalized. But recently, a female colleague 
was appointed as a division chief instead of an elderly man. And her vision was not to grow the department or bring in funds or increase the department's ranking. Her mission was to focus on the well-being of current faculty. She told me this story, and I'm telling you, this is how change happens. Through sharing our stories, not hiding them, role models are doing it, not thinking about it. And when you need to move into action, try following in the footsteps of a role model. If you're already a positive role model for mums, thank you. And for those of us who still have a few changes to make, I hope today's episode gave you some examples of things you can do. Good luck in finding the behavior you want to model. Thank you so much for listening today. Please take a moment to watch my TEDx talk. The YouTube link is in the show description, and my talk is called How to Stop Burnout Before It Starts. If your organization needs to kickstart its burnout efforts with an inspiring keynote, I can talk about my story, the science behind burnout, and the science and practice of preventing burnout. From my own experience, my podcast guests, and my public health behavior change multi-level approach. Are you worried about your employees burning out? Are you losing some of your best talent, but you're too exhausted and burned out yourself to solve this problem? Are you concerned that any efforts you will make will be wasted? I understand. Would you like a clear roadmap for solving burnout and DEI challenges in one that you can adjust to your company culture? I can provide a strategic plan of evidence-based solutions matched to your needs and a blueprint process to implement them in your workplace to improve psychological safety, reduce burnout and turnover, and ensure that your company remains a fair and value-driven company for thriving employees, where you are also no longer burned out and instead can effectively support others. The best kickstart is through a keynote. So just contact me through my website at drjacquelinecur.com. And please remember, burnout can be related to serious mental health problems. If you're experiencing physical or mental health symptoms, please contact a health provider or call the appropriate helpline. This podcast does not replace medical advice. Take care. Control, you're a fighter. Push the limits and see it. You're already there. Told you we going higher. Ain't no stopping us. We're going in for the win. And we're gonna celebrate. Then we're gonna do it all over again. And we're gonna rock this place. Cause this is our day. We're gonna do it. Yeah.